As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash UNTCares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, produced by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. This podcast features conversations with UNT faculty, other subject matter experts, and lifelong learners in our community. To learn more about our courses and events, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ali at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Officer David Causey from the UNT Police Department. Officer Causey is a graduate of the University of North Texas, a certified TCOLE instructor, a certified Gracie survival instructor, and a field training officer. Officer Causey served seven years on patrol with the UNTPD and he is now currently the community relations officer. Officer Causey recently won the Police Department's Customer Service Award for 2020 for being the type of officer that you can come to if you have a concern or question and even if it doesn't fall within his realm he will find the answer or send to you to someone who has it and do whatever he can to take care of it. A true asset to the UNT community. Welcome, Officer Causey. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us. I have lots of questions for you. Very interested about what you do. First off, what is your role at the University of North Texas Police Department? I'm the community relations officer, and I've been with the department for right about uh, almost 10 years and in this current position for two. Terrific. And did you come from around here? So I'm originally from East Texas. Um, I moved up here to go to school at UNT and just really enjoyed the area. Met my then girlfriend, now wife, um, and then just again, kind of just stuck around and, and made this my home. I understand that you know quite a bit about fraud and identity theft, which is a great interest to me. Most of us have a general idea of what that means, but as a police officer, how would you describe it? Well, one thing I always like to mention when we talk about identity theft and fraud is people think when they say them together, they say identity theft and fraud, like it's one thing, right? But one thing to keep in mind is that pretty much all identity theft is fraud, but not all fraud is identity theft. So always really be looking out for different ways that somebody's trying to take advantage of you. It may not be that they're trying to steal your social security number. It may be that they're trying to get you to pay them with like gift cards or with your credit card or something like that, that there's different ways that people try to take advantage of you. I keep reading more and more about it. 
it's actually quite frightening. And I feel very sorry for the people that are victims because it seems like it happens to a lot of people that already have some sort of limitations or difficulties. How prevalent is it particularly in our community? Overall, fraud is pretty prevalent just about anywhere. If you think about today's age, especially now, with so much stuff being done electronically through emails and through phone calls and things of that nature, it's just really easy for them to be able to reach a large target audience and try to get someone to fall for the particular scam or whatever it is that they're posing. I would say generally we see more fraud related stuff than compared to like actual identity theft type crimes. And I think it's generally because it's easier to just try to scam or fraud a lot of people as opposed to actually going through the full identity theft process. I have read that many times people target senior citizens. Are you finding that happening among the students too at UNT? Yes, yes, we are. And it's usually, the, and they use a lot of the same types of scams and frauds. A lot of stuff that we have is what we call like work from home type things. And, and it's, it, it's one of those that fits well within their schedule, which we also see it fitting well in with the, the senior schedule and their particular lifestyle where maybe they're not wanting to get out, but they're looking for maybe a little supplemental income or something of that nature. And so we see it, we do see it target them as well. I'm not alone in the fact that I get a lot of calls that I don't answer, but if they leave a message, it's obviously not something that I'm interested in. They're trying to sell me something or talk to me about my credit card or something along those lines, my Apple account or whatever. What, and also on email, I get some emails that I also just delete. Of course, I don't go to any of those links. What are some red flags? How do you know when someone is trying to do something like that or steal your information? Really one thing that you're always looking for that I tell, there's several different red flags, but a couple of things that I really point out to people is if anybody's really trying to force you into a situation and make you make a quick decision, if they don't want to give you the chance to think about it or to talk to your spouse or significant other or family members, if they're telling you it's a act now or you're going to lose out kind of deal, it, that's a big red flag. And then also anytime anybody's trying to get you to pay anything with gift cards. Back in the day, we used to see a lot of stuff with wire transfers with either say like MoneyGram or Western Union. And it seems like over the years, those have kind of phased out some. They're still around, but it seems that a lot of the bigger push now is stuff with gift cards. So they're looking for you to pay them with gift cards. And it falls along the same lines of it's really difficult to track. And usually once that money's gone, that there's no way to get that money back. I'm sure you're probably aware that most credit cards and bank cards have some type of protection against them. Most of those gift cards don't, so it makes it really difficult to recover those funds once they're gone from that card. Yeah, I just had $1,200 charged on my canceled credit card now <laughs> for a resort in Austin, and I figured it must have been a really nice place is all I've got to say, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's upsetting. 
when you find out that somebody's taken advantage of those kinds of things. Now, how they got my credit card number, I don't know. How do people find out your personal information? There's several different ways, and it depends on really what they what they have gotten a hold of. So it could be just as simple as they're taking, they're stealing your mail. So one thing I always tell people is to make sure you're checking your mail daily. Don't let stuff sit in the box. And I have to be careful of that myself because sometimes I don't want to check it every day or I don't think about it. But make sure that you're checking it often and, and getting those bills out. Also, if you've got stuff that has got identifying information on it, whether it's the credit card account, whether it's just your, your address, state of, any of that kind of stuff, is that find a good way to destroy it. Don't just throw it in the trash can because, again, they could come back and dig through your trash. So either shred it or just do some other way that you know that it gets destroyed and not just out with the, with the trash. Yeah, I've kind of wondered about that. I can understand shredding, and I wonder sometimes, you know, people get these uh, credit card advertisements that has your name. It doesn't really have an account, but it has your name. And obviously, if somebody is soliciting you for a credit card, then perhaps you might be a good person to defraud, to use their name, to open a credit card. And I've thought about if a person throws something like that away, how secure is the dump? Is that very secure? Do you know? I would imagine that the the dump is going to be, I say somewhat secure as far as they're not going to want people going out there. And it's not necessarily that they're going to try to keep them out because of, of your personal identifying information that's in it, but it's just a safety concern. That's not a safe place to be with whatever could be in there in, in the trash. And plus they've got different equipment moving around. So I would think that, that would, that's going to be a trespass area that I'm going to allow people to just rummage around through there. Yeah, it seems like everywhere I turn, I have to be careful right now with my computer. And uh, I know that a lot of times you'll be on the computer and, ah, oh, you have a virus, contact us, call us. We are Microsoft. We'll help you. We're your best friend. Then, of course, they're not. Microsoft will tell you right away. We never do that. You call us if you want us because we're never reaching out to you. But it just seems like it's happening everywhere I turn around. Are you are you getting a lot of reports there at the police department there at UNT? We're not getting a whole lot from the direct scam of that nature. We are getting some where people are calling saying that they're asking for the, they're saying that they're with the social security office. They're trying to get verify their social security number, something of that nature. But I agree with you. I'm getting, I get inundated every day with emails and phone calls. And the thing is, too, is that they're getting better and better. Some of the stuff beforehand, when I would look at it, I would, you could, I mean, you could just not even blink an eye and you could tell that, that it was fraudulent. It had really weird return mail addresses. It, had, it was very, just kind of a blank profile, had no where it specifically was talking to me, you know, things like that, where it just, it, it just looked bad. But over the last few weeks, it seems like a lot of the stuff I've gotten, I've looked at it several times and some of it, I was like, this may even be legitimate, but I don't, I can see where it could be fraudulent and I'll just delete it and I'll just follow up with my bank itself or I'll follow up with them themselves. So you're right. It's definitely every corner that you look and they're like, again, they're, they're getting better at what they do. This is what they do. What is the Felony Lane Gang? So the Felony Lane Gang is kind of a, a interesting tactic. 
it's one of those things that's been around for a while. Basically what it is, is there's a, a group of thieves will say they'll, they'll steal your, maybe your purse or something like that. And maybe they get it from, maybe you're shopping at the store or maybe you've left your car unlocked and they've gotten your purse and in your purse, it's got your identification and it's got a checkbook. And what they'll do is they'll write a check out to cash and they'll go to your bank and they'll have a member of their gang that looks somewhat like you. So they don't look exactly like you, but maybe roughly the same age, same sex, same hair color, just generally just enough. And then what they'll do is they'll go through the drive through and they go through the most outer lane, the one that's furthest away from the teller with the idea of that the teller can see them. And then again, they'll send in your check for cash with your ID and the teller looks at the ID and they look out there and like, that looks like them again, because they've got a lot of distance in between them and they'll use that to be able to steal money from your account. Oh, if only all of that energy that goes into this devious sort of sophisticated way of stealing things and intelligence went to the good. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Our country would just, and the world, the world would just move forward if all of these people developing all of these methods and viruses and everything use their intelligence toward helping their communities instead of stealing from them. It would be a marvelous day, wouldn't it? Yes, use their powers for good. Exactly, and not for evil. Yeah. You got that right. Well, okay, with all of this, what do you tell people to do? You mentioned checking your mail. Okay, I, I can understand that. And I think some younger people are even uh, probably more guilty of that than uh, those of us that are older. I don't know. I could be wrong. But I think that some younger people tend to just sort of, you know, check their mail whenever. Uh, but b besides that, are there other things that you can think of that we might do? Absolutely. So one thing, and again, when I talk about this stuff is I want to tell people, don't, don't let this consume your life. Don't be con constantly worried about all the things that people are out to get you, because even though they are, make sure you, you can do some solid things that can, that can keep yourself safe. So we talked about checking your mail. We talked about this, the stuff that you do throw away. Make sure that you destroy it completely before you get rid of it. There's different locks. Like I recently, so you're probably aware, there's been a lot of scams going on with Texas Workforce, the unemployment checks. So I recently went in and did a lock on all three credit bureaus. And that is, it's completely free. You just go in and you set it up. It takes... I think it took me about an hour to go through each one and set up an account and put those locks on it. They'll give you passwords so you can go and unlock it if you do need to go and use your credit. But that's one thing that you can do. Make sure that you're not just giving out your information for whatever reason. Make sure you're not using like your, your social security number as part of your password. Make sure that you're, again, just keeping an eye on everything. If something happens, if you receive notice from the IRS, don't just blow it off and think it's fraud or think it's a scam. Do your own research and give them a call back. Don't call them back at the number they called you at. Don't necessarily agree to what they're saying on the phone, but do your own research. If you get mail, if something looks out of the ordinary, if you get a strange charge on your credit card, make sure you follow up on it. If something looks out of the ordinary, if you receive something that says you were denied credit and you did not apply for any credit, Definitely follow up with that. Don't just think, oh, well, it was denied, so I don't have to worry about anything. 
make sure you do that follow-up and do it quickly because it's one of those things it doesn't get better without your intervention. That sounds like good advice. Let's say that somebody did have a person's identity or they suspect perhaps they're trying to use their name for a credit card or you suspect that your social security card's been stolen or whatever. What should you do? Should you call the police? Should you go to the credit bureaus? What should a person do? So initially, depending on what it is that you think was stolen, if you think it was your social security number, I would go in and I would immediately put a block on my credit on the different bureaus. Again, since that's free, I would probably do that almost right away and try to mitigate as much of that damage as possible. I'd also consider reporting it through the IRS and that way that they can't use your social security number to get your tax refunds back. Wow, that'd be awful. Yes. And then I would still make sure that you do make that police report because you're going to need that if they do get some information and they do start opening credit cards, you're going to need that police report as well. But my first thing is going to be to start closing things down and, and again, trying to mitigate that damage. The social security number has so much power in identifying who we are. I know before. I mean, certainly I'm from a military family and you use your social security card or your husband's all the time or your wife. So whoever was in the military, but is that going to change? Do you think? Because it seems like it leaves us so vulnerable. I agree. And and it's funny talking about the military because isn't it on the back of the military? Well, not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, it used to be. Yeah. They've taken that off now. That's good because I knew that it I was like, I knew at one point it used to be. So I'm not aware of anything that says that they're moving away from the social security number being so prevalent in so many different things. I still think it's a good thing to follow up with if somebody's asking for your social security number, finding out why do you need it? Is it just, is the reason that you need my social security number just for your filing purposes? Is that how you have stuff set? And if so, can we use a different number? If you want my social security number, what are you going to do with it? Where's it going to be? Is it going to be in a locked location? Again, it may seem that you're kind of confrontational and nobody wants to go into that type of situation, but you need to make sure that those people are protecting it because as you say, it's guiding where the social security number is just, everybody just gives it out and they're almost treating it like it's their address or date of birth, you know, where it's just like, it's just, it's just nothing, but it has so much influence over us. Well, I've noticed even a pharmacy that asked me for my social security number. I suppose it's linked with insurance, but you just wonder how careful, how careful are they? I mean, I like the pharmacy and all that. They're great medically and with prescriptions, but you wonder how careful they are with social security numbers and doctor's offices too. Absolutely. That's what's scary about it is that it only takes one person to not pay attention and leave something unlocked or to leave something laying out and somebody to walk by and snap a picture or something of that nature. So it is concerning. Yeah, we had a podcast on the dark web, and that was something that our expert was saying was that they get your social security number or other identifying information and they sell it on the dark web. 
phones. We're all on our phones all the time. Now, I don't use a lot of social media, but boy, I know I'm in the minority. Most people do. Most people are always out there, you know, here I am at this place. Here's my, I'm here. This is what I'm eating. And this is who I'm with. And I'm away and I'm here and whatever. How does all that make us vulnerable? I think cell phones are, are a real big issue. And for me, I can tell you, so I'm an Android user and I use a lot of, I, I use Google. And so one thing that I've noticed over time, and it's just that I use Google at work, I've got my own Google account, you know, for my phone and stuff, but it links a lot of that stuff together. And so it tries to save passwords into different from, you know, from my phone to my computer and vice versa. And so that's one thing that means that you've got, you know, you're carrying around a small computer that is storing all of that information. Obviously, it's going to get you, you know, like you say, if you're saying that you're, hey, we're having a great weekend in Cancun this weekend or whatever it is, then whoever is following you or sees you, sees that, knows that you're not at home. If you're, you can't be at Cancun and home and they know that you're not going to be there within the next two hours. We always tell people to don't take pictures while you're on vacation and post them right away. Take the pictures and when you get back, say, hey, we had a great time last weekend. That is not always necessarily your friends, but it's your friends' friends. It's people that follow you. And and it, even to that same thing is be careful who you allow to follow you. I know I get random notifications on some different platforms that I use. It says that somebody started following me and I don't remember what account it was. And I looked at it and I was like, who, who is this? And it was just a random person. I'm like, well, I went and blocked them and got them to not where they couldn't follow me anymore. But it just seemed so strange that I didn't even have to approve them. I just got to notice that they were now following me. So I got that knocked out pretty quick. But with your cell phone, there's just so much information in it, whether it's passwords, whether it's information about your family. And again, back to social media, it's got who maybe your wife or your spouse is and your kids and again, where you live and your say your parents and, you know, different things that you're friends with and people can easily link all that stuff together and use it for even security information. I do a series of interviews of authors and it's done by Zoom, which of course, most of the world knows how to do Zoom now, but it was meant to be set up as just a private interview, not to be for a public thing. And, and the guest misunderstood that and put the link on her website and her social media account. Well, she has a lot of followers. And so I found out inadvertently after we were, had some zoom bombing going on that there are bots that just go through these social media sites looking for that kind of thing, looking for links. So I can imagine there must be bots that are looking for some sort of vacation news or things like that. I mean, it just, why not? If they're sophisticated enough to have a bot to just look for a zoom link and then for whatever mean reason want to come on and say things and do things and whatever. I mean, obviously we got off and it was no big deal. We recovered, but it blows me away. The technology some people use just to be vandals, basically. Exactly. It's, it's strange because I know when we first started doing Zoom, I had that happen a whole lot right at the beginning. And I was the only host, but I, you know, I just sent the link out to the people that are supposed to be attending and it, and I guess that's probably what happened, but it came in where it did the 
annotation or whatever, and somebody was it was somebody was drawing on the back of the screen. It was the strangest thing. They didn't draw anything offensive, which was good, but and it kind of they kind of stopped pretty quickly. But it was just it was really strange that it, it was so easy for somebody to be able to do that. Now we have to make sure we do passcodes and that you reserve and all that stuff just to try to stop that. Well, we've sort of touched on this, but. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the dangers that are lurking in our emails and in our computer alerts? I think the biggest thing is just to always, is not to jump and automatically think something is correct or whatever. And it's it's easy to get when you're maybe, and I'm I'm in the same position, you know, you're, you're checking your emails and you're going through stuff and trying to get things caught up and get done, especially at work and you're trying to get your inbox down a little bit. And you're going through and you're clicking on stuff and reading is to give a give it a minute. Think about what you're clicking on. If you if you go to click on a link, think, is this something I'm supposed to be clicking on? Even if it's say you use Chase Bank and it is a Chase Bank email before you click on anything, just think, should I be should I be clicking on this? Because it may it may be that it puts a virus in your computer, but it may be that they're just you know, you click on it and it says you need to update some information and you end up giving up giving them information. So. Really, the biggest thing is just to always take a second. That will keep a lot of people from falling victim. I mentioned our episode on the dark web with Dr. Scott Belshaw and Lauren Underwood. They were terrific guests talking about the dark web and UNT's cyber forensic lab. And Dr. Belshaw encouraged listeners to use something like LifeLock. I mean, not necessarily promoting LifeLock per se, but he said that it was important to use something like LifeLock to watch over any unauthorized uses of your personal information. Do you find those types of services help to reduce that risk? I'm sure any service you use can be beneficial. For me personally, I I don't use like LifeLock. I, I do the I've got all all of my credit lines blocked. I blocked them previously, and then we went to make some larger purchases. So I kind of unblocked it for a little while, but I've gone and made sure all those are reblocked. And then most credit card companies will offer some type of monitoring. They'll either, usually they'll offer a higher end monitoring and they'll charge you for it, or they'll offer you kind of like a baseline monitoring for free. So usually I try to get in a couple of those little baseline monitorings and then some credit blocking. And then just, again, just paying attention, making sure that I'm doing my annual credit report, which you can get for free. You can get it at a different times. So you only get one per year from each bureau. But you can do one and then wait a few months and do from another and wait a few months and do from another. So you don't get the full picture on any one, but over the course of the year, you kind of get a little bit of a snippet. So it just depends on you and your concern, how concerned you are about getting that information stolen. It's good to know it's there. It's good to know we have options. It's good to know what our options are for the level of security that we want. What are governmental and law enforcement organizations doing to prevent this type of theft? Of course, your presence on the podcast, educating us about ways to identify and protect ourselves is one we certainly appreciate. Thank you very much for being here. Are there these agencies and what difficulties do they encounter in this area? So for us, the biggest thing is education because a lot of these people that are performing these crimes aren't either not from the U.S., they're from other countries, and we don't have jurisdiction there. 
and it's really hard to prosecute in a lot of these other areas. A lot of times what you're sending it to, there's, you know, there's doing like spoofed numbers. So if you're receiving a call, it's not going to be who actually owns that. It's not going to be the actual person that subscribed to it. Somebody was actually is able to steal and spoof that number. And a lot of that stuff is just sent through so many different routes and so many different ways that it's almost impossible to follow up and prosecute those individuals. That was actually going to be my next question to you was if there have been successes in prosecuting these criminals for this kind of thing. But as you say, it sounds like it's a very, very difficult thing to follow through with. Absolutely. So if it's depending on you know where it is, if it's something that we can track down locally, then we will absolutely, we will absolutely prosecute. But again, a lot of it, when you see the spoofing type stuff, you don't, you think that you're talking to a certain person and the number that you have that called you, and then we can do checks to see who that number is listed to, and we can go and contact that person. But a lot of times that's not the person who called you. They called you from outside line, and all we have is that phone number. And again, that number is not, is who we're contacting is not who, who used that number. You had mentioned at a lecture that you gave to Ollie before at a previous semester about a new type of scan involving answering yes on the cell phone. Can you tell us about that? Yes. And I think that this is, (laughs) uh, I think this is one of the ones that kind of really caught me off guard. Basically what it is, they'll call you and say, Hey, is this Susan? You say, yes. And so what you're doing is you're giving an affirmation and then they, take that snippet of you saying yes and either use that as saying that you agree to a service or they'll use that in some other way saying that, again, it's your affirmation to a service or a product or something of that nature. That's why I tell people if it's a number, even me personally, the the only numbers that I answer that I don't, like if I don't recognize the number, the only ones that I'll answer is if it's 940-369, area code and prefix, because that's the Denton School District, and my wife is a teacher, and my kids go to Denton schools. So I want to be able, you know, if it's one of those, it's probably them. Or if it's a 940565, because that's usually UNT. So those are the only two prefixes that I personally answer. And usually when I answer one of those, is I'll just hit the answer button and I don't say anything initially. Mm-hmm. I wait for them to say hello or say something to me. And if I can, if it sounds like it's, a scam or if it sounds like it's a robocall or something that I'll just hang up on it. But usually I've had, you know, knock on wood, pretty good luck that if I've gotten one with those prefixes that they've been legitimate. You know, I do the same thing. I don't answer calls that I don't recognize. And I figure that if it's someone that's legitimately reaching out to me, they'll leave a message. So often I'll I'll wait until I hear them leaving a message and I'll pick up or perhaps it's not even a good time for me to deal with whatever it is. So I used to be like Pavlov's dog, you know, every time the phone would ring, (laughs) there I was. And it's kind of a freedom too, but you certainly don't have to answer every call that comes in or respond to every email for that matter. Absolutely. I I tend to get caught up sometimes because we're having stuff done around the house and I'll have people call me. And if, I mean, if they want my business, they'll leave me a voicemail. And it's, it's kind of funny because again, I use Google and it does an automatic where if it's a number that it doesn't, I don't, I don't know what exactly sets it off or whatever, but it'll 
it'll ask them to, you know, this is a Google screen call, please state, you know, why you're calling or whatever. And it'll transcribe it on the front of my screen. And sometimes it'll do, it, do that before it even starts ringing. And you'll see where somebody's, and you can tell somebody's confused by it and they'll hang up and call me right back or something. But I'm the same way, you know, if they really want my business, then they'll leave me a voicemail and hopefully we can, hopefully it works out. You have given us a lot of very good advice and information that we need to be aware of. Is there anything else that you can think of that I haven't asked you that would be important to share with our listeners regarding identity theft or any other kind of theft? Oh, wait, <laughs> what about important documents? What about important documents in your home? I've thought about that. You know, if you write down your passwords in a book and then put it in your table next to your chair, what if somebody breaks into your house? So what should you do with that kind of thing? What I personally do is I save, I've got a PIN, a personal identification number on my phone. And I don't really do that. Like my wife knows my PIN, my kids know my PIN. So in case something happens in an emergency, they can get my phone and call 911 or whatever. I do it mainly for if somebody else gets a hold of my phone. So if you're thinking, I don't need a pen, I trust my wife, I trust my spouse, I trust whoever. Mine is not, everybody in my family knows what my pen is, and it's just in case somebody gets a hold of my phone. Then within my phone, I, I have a password manager. So it has got one primary password to get into that password manager, and I make it a really difficult password. It, and Because my idea is I've only got to remember one, I should make it difficult because, because if they can guess that one and they've got access to a lot of stuff. So the one that I make needs to be really good. Yeah. And then within that, I've got the passwords to different to all, to everything else is listed in that. And I can log on through them. I can log onto their website and get it, get access to it too. So in case something happens to my phone, I have access to it through their website as well. So it's kind of like a double, like they've got to get into the phone and then they've got to get to the password. They've got to find the password manager and then they've got to have that primary password to get into that manager to get to it. I don't, me personally, I don't like the idea of stuff being written down because it's too easy for me to, to forget where I left it or to leave it unsecured. Or if somebody it's over at my house for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's somebody doing an appliance repair or one of my kids' friends. Not that I don't trust the, you know, I'm careful who I allow into my house, but you never know. And I just, I, I want to kind of cut that out if I can. Yeah. Sounds like great advice. You have any other tidbits that I haven't mentioned? I think the biggest thing is don't let it scare you. I mm -hmm. often, when I get through talking about a lot of this stuff, people get really scared and timid or just really concerned about a lot of stuff. Don't let it scare you. Just make it where it's something that you think about where you think, you know, I just got this bill in and I'm going to go throw it in the trash. I need to take a second and make sure I shred it. I need to make sure that I cut it up. If I'm looking at this email, do I really need to respond to this? Is this something I need to take care of right now? Should I think about it a minute? Should I even respond to the email? Maybe if it's something from my bank, just give my bank a call. So I think the biggest thing is just that heightened thought that there are people out there looking to take advantage of you and just make it harder for them. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And also, thank you for your service with the UNT Police Department. Another very, very important job. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. It was great to meet you and I enjoyed the talk. 
Thank you. This has been Susan Supak speaking with Officer David Causey from the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.